welcome to another edition of Sounding Board. Today, we're going to talk about climate change. Now, we've skirted around this issue a number of times, Andrew, and we've maybe hinted at kind of our positions on this. But in the last couple of weeks, specifically in London, there have been Extinction Rebellion protests locking up Westminster uh, and, uh, and large parts of the capital city. Uh, and we've obviously had um, good old Greta Thunberg uh, out and about doing her thing. Uh, so I thought it was about time we actually talked about the Greenies. Okay, so I don't, I don't think anyone is going to be su surprised by my opinions on, uh, on, on the green issues, um, or, or yours. Um. Albeit, and I don't want to come across as defensive to start any podcast, but I do think it is potentially worth clarifying positions, because I do consider myself to be um, someone who cares for the environment and someone who believes in conservation. Um, uh, I just believe that, and again, belief's the wrong word. I don't even want to subscribe to their terminology. It's not about belief, because that makes it more about this being a religious cause in some way. The methods that the, you know, the current extreme green movement um, adopt uh, are not ecological. They are not friendly to the earth and mainly are about um, uh, completely disrupting and destroying um, capitalism uh, and ushering in some, um, some new amazing state of, of, of communism that's going to either you know, put us back in the dark ages, well, etc. Let's, et let's, et let's, let's, get, let's get on to that. Um, I just so, but my point is, I, I like you know, I like the environment. I want, to, I do want to save it, um, but it's a question very specifically about whether or not climate change is man-made, and regardless of whether it is, the methods that you could do to keep living on this earth in a, you know, in, a, in an eco-friendly way. Well, this is this is one of my biggest criticisms with with the green movement because, so, climate climate is obviously changing. Climate change is real. It's perfectly natural. It's not man-made. It's been happening it's since not the dawn of time. So these these people, they're only they're looking at a very very small window, and we have evidence for hundreds of thousands of years. There's we have um, we have ice cores uh, from the poles that go that go back uh, about four hundred thousand years, and you can you can plot on a graph different temperatures depending on the amount of ice that year. Um, and there are you know every every couple of thousand years there are these there are these spikes. We had quite a warm period in the medieval times. Um, they like to hide that, but even you can you know you can go back hundreds of thousands of years and you can see these spikes. And at the moment, of course, we're yeah we we are just in the spot where we should be having a be spike warming. in temperature. And if we yeah. if we weren't, that would be an issue. What you can also plot with these ice cores are the uh, is the amount of CO two in the atmosphere, um, and what tends to happen is that the CO2 comes afterwards, and that helps the Earth cool down. So there's actually an argument that the amount of CO2, amount of plant food that we're putting in the air <laughs> at the moment, is actually stopping the Earth from heating up as much as it would be. Which is, Under, that, in quotes, normal conditions. Correct. Now that could be a bad thing, because if you think about you know, global temperature increases of, of, of one or two degrees, that's, that, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, if you decrease the temperature, though, then that's when crops die, yes. and that's when people starve. Yeah, you and I would be fine, but in developing countries, when they're just subsistence farmers and they're, they're you know they don't have the technology that we do, then they're going to be they're going to be in real trouble. Um, so that 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 that's that's. And this issue. happened in the Little Ice Age. Um, there are there are two things that generally the um, climate change people or those who are constructing their graphs and quoting their stats don't like. One is the medieval warm period and the other is the little ice age um, that followed it. And that absolutely was a period um, where people starved. People starved because they couldn't grow enough. Uh, and obviously during that time, uh, we were far less technologically advanced than we are today. 
So we've got Extinction Rebellion out there, we've got them making these very bold claims and resorting to protest. Uh, I mean, they, they call it peaceful protest. A lot of them have been very peaceful, a lot of them have also looked a lot like a rave, haven't they? Um, oh, well, the, well, and they've had they've had their interpretive dance, and they've been in the strange costumes. I mean, if they want to do that, then fine. But if they're stopping people from getting to a hospital, which they have, that's that, that's not that's no longer a peaceful protest. If you're stopping, if you're interrupting people's lives, whether you're stopping them from getting to a hospital, or stopping them getting to work, or interrupting their livelihoods, that is, even if you're just standing there, that is no longer a peaceful protest. Yes, as, as far as anyone's concerned. Yes, and certainly, as you say, the. I think it's one thing, um, and I mean, I, the, the, the term that I would always have used to describe the people that I've seen um, uh, on the videos of, of uh, posts of this um, from London were uh, hippies. You know, they just look like a bunch of hippies um, uh, in, in terms of the way they dress and, yeah, the, uh, the, the kind of completely out of it dancing. The, the costumes, the dressing up, the, um, the, the, there was some in red and some in green. You, you know the ones I'm talking about with the kind of head to toe and the, the white faces and, and all of this. I mean, that's, that's religious zealotry, isn't it? Oh, that's, absolutely. What, otherwise, what is the point of, of doing that? I kind of get the, the intent to shock. Um, I mean, I mean <laughs> one thing we both found uh, rather amusing was the attempt to spray the treasury. Uh, with fake blood. Oh, that was hilarious. Uh, if anyone hasn't looked this up. I resisted looking at the video. Um, I, I just thought, uh, whatever. And then um, I finally watched the video where they mucked it up. So they got an old fire engine. Um, and that was pumping out plumes of black smoke out the back of it. Uh, and I believe wasn't taxed. But how did it? How did it get there in the first place? Can you not? Could you or I drive our cars there and just leave them there? No, no, not at all. Not at all. They had help, um, but they attempted to spray, you know, red water. Oh, one assumed it had some kind of dye in it, um, all over the treasury building uh, as a, as a protest. Uh, completely, uh, barely got a couple of seconds worth of spraying. Completely lost control of the hose, and it's then whipping around on the ground, getting them covered in this fake blood. Uh, and then it's, it's, it's really quite amusing watching them try to gain control of it, lose control of it again. Uh, but it's all about them making these, making these statements. But even, even the ones that are supposedly peaceful, so they, they all say they're, they're peaceful protest, peacefully protesting, but it's like when people talk about tax and 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 you know fines and stuff as being peaceful. It's like well, there's a peaceful way of dealing with this. Okay, so what if I don't pay the fine? Yeah. What if I don't pay the tax? What happens then? Okay, so you come after me, you're going to throw me in jail. That's not peaceful. It's the same with these protests. You might be standing there, but if I want to get to this hospital and I have to get through you, are you just going to move out and let me go, or are you going to prevent yes. me? In which case, it, it will get violent. In which case, that's no longer peaceful. Yes. Well, but there's also been destruction of private property. Um, yeah, let alone the obstruction of private property. Um, uh, now, today, as of recording this a few hours ago, um, good old George Monbiot, uh, Guardian columnist and, I mean, I, I think I can describe him as an eco-warrior, uh, certainly an activist, um, was deliberately, he got himself deliberately arrested in London uh, and the reason I know this is because he wrote an article about it and published it a few hours before saying, hopefully by the time you read this, or you know, this afternoon I intend to be in jail if I, if I end up going home without having you know, the uh, strong arm of the law on my shoulder, then I would have failed. Uh, and he was quoting, and, and, it, and it happened, and there's video footage of him all smiling and preaching while, while being carried away by the police, um, along, with, along with others. His, his article spoke of, you know, this being the only way, this, this method of protest and specifically being arrested. Uh, and he's referring to, you know, the suffragettes uh, and to others who have campaigned in such a way to, that they're willing to lose their liberty for their cause. 
and that he's, he's somehow justifying all of it. But he's he's not really losing his liberty if he gets arrested for a couple of hours and gets a whole load of publicity out of it. Yes. Now, I wanted to ask you, in regards to this, we've not talked about this, do you think, therefore, that he should have been arrested because that's just what he wanted? Or So what did he do would be my question. Well, and... You see, I don't know enough about the police rules of engagement or whatever the term is. Can't someone be removed or, you know, could, do you have to arrest them in order to remove them? You know, I quite like it. When I'm dealing with, uh, when I have dealt with my toddler children, uh, and to a certain degree, occasionally you still have to deal with them like this now, um, if they if they don't do what what you ask them to do and it's a matter that you do need to enforce um, then you might have to physically pick them up and put them somewhere if they then move from that spot then you put them back there and you keep putting them back there until they learn uh, and you could or could you here's my question as the, as the police could you keep picking up George Monbiot putting him back somewhere else where he's not in the way letting him run back in again and then pick him up and keep putting him back down. And would that be a waste of police time rather than arrest him? Um, I mean, it would just annoy him, which I would find funny. Uh, but do you have to start treating these types of people like children? Oh, no, I think treating them like toddlers is a, is a good idea. You've got, to, you've got to look at the reasons for, you know, for arresting, for charging people. For, you know, About 1,400 of them have been arrested now. But so there are different reasons. There are to try and reform them. There are punishment is obviously part of it. There's got to be a deterrent. So if if the deterrent is not enough, and they keep doing it, you could argue that there needs to be stiffer sentences, or they could be a bit harsher with these people. Um, so perhaps so it's meaningful because they're, what they're saying is they're willing. Well, it doesn't because appear, it's not meaningful. It doesn't appear to be meaningful at the moment. No. So if it's not, then you you could perhaps think. Okay, we're going to fine you a lot more, or or, or whatever. Um, I mean, in terms of the obstruction of every everyday lives and all of that, um, because protesting, protesting does come in a few different forms. Chanting with a flag outside somewhere, while not actually disrupting the operations of a, a building or a road or, or whatever, that's protest. That's protest. I think you and I would agree that's perfectly legitimate protest. Uh, but actually closing a bridge uh, and and obstructing it physically to stop people from getting from A to B. Well, so it wouldn't. It would blockading a building. It wouldn't be too hard to calculate some kind of economic impact to what they're doing, and you could also quite easily calculate. Okay, so what other crimes? had occurred across London during this time. Because the police were dealing with them. And we couldn't deal with those. So how many people have been stabbed? How many people have been robbed? How many people have been burgled? How many mm. shops have been broken into? Indirect. Because we can't we because we can't deal with this and we're dealing with you idiots. So we're then going to find you to, to, to pay for the you know the compensation mm. for all the other crimes that have happened in the city during that time. I, so there, there are ways of doing it. Well I, I mean I'm intrigued. They've been it's been this is what week is this week two of this round? I think so. And we're, and we're, yeah, we're Wednesday of week two. Um, surely, he says, it would have been quicker and easier to just round them all up right at the beginning when it is seen to be what it is. You know, after a few hours, pretty obvious what they're doing. Not least of which that they announced that's what they were going to do and where they were going to be. Um round them up, arrest them, whatever, remove them. Um, and, and you know, you've, you've, you've got rid of that. You know, they, they let it go on for days. I don't, I don't really understand the, the letting it go on and on and on and on and on. Um, if you remove them for, you know, for a bit of time and then, or, 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 or I don't know enough. I mean, you, you work in London. It, I mean, Are they constantly removing them and then they're coming back? Is, is that, you know, is it whack-a-mole? I no, I think my instinct is it's not. No, I think they're just letting them. I mean, they've been letting them camp there. Yeah, um, and the same way that they've they've let people drive an old fire engine outside the Treasury Building, they're just turning a blind eye to it. Yes, most of the time. Yeah, they make they they make a few arrests, 
But most of the time they're just turning a blind eye to it. Are they too busy policing pronouns, do you and, think? And Twitter and Facebook and nasty words. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, painting what's the, what's the painting rainbows on the side of police cars. Um, non-crime hate. Is, um, that, is that the right term? No. Uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? Non-crime hate. Not a, a non-crime hate incident, I think. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah, but today was um, uh, National Pronouns Day or something. Did you did you see this? No. I mean, it... it, it <laughs> so I have... I am now on the Twitter after saying for however however long that I'm never going on social media. And this is mainly because you've told me. Every time I say to you, you should really tweet this, <laughs> you're like, do it your bloody self. <laughs> so I, I have been on the Twitter this week. For the record, you've been on the Twitter for about 10 years and you just haven't told me or anybody. Right, so it's but not... this hasn't been a secret where I've been using it, even to view... No, but the whole, I don't have a Twitter account, you're going to have to promote the podcast, Andrew. Oh, it turns out I did have one. I I completely forgot. Did you? Yes, and then I I went, only when, only when you said, right, come on, you need to go on there. I was like, right, okay, yeah, now I need to think about what my, you know, Twitter handle is going to be, and I need to register the account. And, And that was the moment it dawned on me, I was like, I've done this before. And because I'd obviously unsubscribed from messages, it's not like Twitter have been emailing me periodically or anything like that. Um, and so I, I remembered my old handle, looked at it, it's still there. And so I did a password reset on it, <laughs> got the email, and uh, I went from there. So yes, when you look at my Twitter feed, it now looks like I've been there for many, many a year. Um, but I've only been doing it about a week. Um, but the, the point I was making was today I saw what popped up on my feed was some chief constable of somewhere with a video talking about how it's really harmful to misgender people. And obviously this is so much more important than genuine crime. How is it harmful? How can it possibly harm anybody? I refer you to a podcast we made a few moments ago. I, I want to move on from uh, the Extinction Rebellion protests, though, and talk about how they've got more media coverage. And I don't mean coverage of the protests, which obviously they've been, but I mean them in being invited on, the, the, the leaders of this, of this movement, of this organisation, of this terrorist cell onto mainstream media outlets and programmes where they are not just being interviewed, they are being, um, I would would say, scrutinised more heavily. They're being put up against uh, other people. You know, the BBC do their balance thing and put someone else that, you know, maybe disagrees with them uh, up there. Uh, And this has been happening on other things. Um, uh, Andrew Neil has got his new show. He had one of the co-founders or whatever on there the, the name of this person made me laugh. Was it like Zion something, or it was, it was, was it Zion Light, or something, something like that? Um, some, something like that. Um, and uh, and he, you know, fairly well, you know, took this person person apart. Took you know, took them to task on their on their outlandish claims. Um, and my initial reaction was, just don't give them any airtime. Just why are you even why are you even bothering to do it? Just let them let them rant outside. If you invite them in, then you're rewarding their behaviour, aren't you? You know, it, it's the it's Leo McGarry in the West Wing refusing to see the Indians in the lobby because the principle is you don't get a meeting with the chief of staff if you do a sit-in in the lobby. That seems to me to be eminently reasonable. Do you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. But another observation I have, and this is the more worrying one, is what I've seen is that they have started putting up against the Extinction Rebellion spokespeople. People who are either on the IPCC 
or who are specifically there to give an IPCC type opinion, de- defending the, well, let's be very clear, the mainstream opinion on climate change. IPCC for our listener being the inter, um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The ones that have written the reports every couple of years um, saying that we're all going to die. And what I've seen of these interviews, because the Extinction Rebellions people are so extreme, are so nonsensical, are so wacky, it's making the IPCC people look really reasonable. And they're there going, no, no, no. No, come on, don't. don't yeah. What have we talked about this centre ground problem and 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 looking reasonable? If you've got people who question the scientific consensus, not that there should be such a thing as scientific consensus, that's kind of against science. But people who question the consensus view on one end and call deniers—that's one extreme. If you've got extinction rebelling the other side saying we're going to die in two years, then suddenly the IPCC mainstream become that sensible compromise, that sensible middle ground. Well, actually, they're kind of just as dangerous, aren't they? So, are you, so you're, you're comparing the IPCC to Rory Stewart? Yes, I am. Is a, which is a reasonable analogy, I would yeah, say. Yes, I am. And what it's, what it's doing... What Extinction Rebellion doing, and therefore it's working, is they're moving the Overton window for climate change. Uh, or rather, that's my fear. That, as long, that if, if the mainstream media continue to put people defending the, the IPCC view on anthropogenic global warming, then it will just make them look more reasonable. They're the ones who are going to be there going, oh, I can't believe these extinction rebellions. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's not, we're not going to die in 20 years, but we might die in 40. So we better do something about it. We're not being, we're not you know, throwing the baby out of the bathwater here. Let's, re- let's reduce our capitalism slowly and gently. <laughs> I mean, I don't, think, I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that the majority of the leaders of Extinction Rebellion are communists. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a moment that every eco-warrior is a commie, um, but I think lots of the ones in charge and the ones who are most vocal are certainly that way. Whether they've whether they've come to whether they've come to the Extinction Rebellion because they're communists, or whether they've been influenced by people and they've just been convinced that communism is the only way, I am not entirely sure. I think lots of people probably go in it because they want to do something for for the environment, and they've just been brainwashed into thinking that the reason we're in this mess is capitalism, the fact that there is a mess in the first place when there isn't, and the, the only way out is through communism, which is so unbelievably bonkers. I mean, if you think if you think that the rise in temperature of one and a half degrees is scary, wait until you see what happens under communism. And and aside, aside from the, the poverty and the death and the gulags, think of the amount of pollutants that happened under the Soviet Union and under East Germany and you know and under China it's it's unbelievable to think that this is somehow the even if there even if there is an issue with anthropogenic global warming to think that communism is going to solve it in any way is utterly bonkers and i suppose the 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 reach for communism if if it's the it's seen as the opposite of capitalism. I don't necessarily agree with that that definition. Uh, we talk a lot uh, about statism, more specifically, as being the opposite of capitalism or of free markets or you know, freedom in general, libertarianism in general. But the easy to reach for uh, spectrum is capitalism and communism, isn't it? And so if you're told, if you're brainwashed into capitalism, look at these factories spewing out this smoke, then the opposite end of that is communism, so that must be the answer. But there's, so they're also making a massive assumption there that what we have currently 
is capitalism. Is unbridled, unfettered. Which we absolutely don't. No. So the opposite of what we have now, on, you know, so on, on one end of the scale is you've got statism. But on the other end of the scale, you've got freedom. And we are nowhere near freedom at the moment. So it's not like we're all completely free and they're advocating for statism as an alternative. We are already very, very statist and they're just trying to increase that. Yes. Going back to George Monbiot, um, I listened to um, the podcast, only released again in the last week, I believe, um, of him and Douglas Carswell on Douglas Carswell's relatively new um, podcast, uh, which is interesting because George Monbiot, for all that I've said earlier, comes across as quite reasonable, uh, and it they they have a lot of good communicators on their side. I, I mean, I'm, and let's be clear, I'm not including the Extinction Rebels in this, but again, if it makes people like George Monbiot look sensible, centre, then we should all worry, um, and. I'm struggling to remember what the next point I was going to make was. So is, is he... I mean, how long did it take him to mention that he wanted to abolish capitalism? Because most of the time it doesn't take him very long. He, he didn't much in this, which was, which was kind of the problem. Um, so which is unusual for him. I don't know if he'd been taking some beta blockers or something. Yeah, well, and, you know, as I say, when you read, when you read his stuff, it's, it's really quite scary uh, as to his, um, uh, his, his methods for solving any of this. Um, but actually Douglas Carswell didn't take him to task as much as I wanted to. Now part of that was because George Monbiot didn't really let him get a word in edgeways and was, and was very challenging of, of Douglas Carswell's views. But one of the points that I thought that Douglas Carswell should push more, coming back to the fact that I have remembered what I was talking about now, was on the Paris Agreement, the Paris Accords, whatever the hell you want to talk, call it. Um, to me, one of the greatest things that Donald Trump has done uh, or did for America as president uh, was uh, pulling the US out of the, of the Paris Climate Agreement. And, you know, this is an agreement that came after Copenhagen, which came after Kyoto. Am I getting that in the right order? You know, every few years, countries get together, thrash out some kind of agreement to reduce carbon or, you know, whatever. Yet... Paris, uh, to shorthand the agreement name, was so unbelievably unbalanced, unfair um, to Western nations. Now, that sounds like a sweeping statement. It sounds like, well, hang on a minute, the Western nations are the developed ones um, and we're the ones, therefore, have been doing more most of the polluting, etc., 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 and regardless of the fact that actually when you look at the way that um, the UK has decarbonised our economy uh, and cleaned up our rivers and et cetera, et cetera, you know, we, we are, we are way, way down there in terms of uh, uh, how we've reduced our emissions. The Paris Agreement gives India and China the two most populous countries in the world basically free reign to you know double and treble their carbon emissions over the same period of time that the west are supposed to decarbonize and aren't allowed to do certain things um i forget the stats but the number of coal-fired power stations you know being opened in china is is a number per week you know this isn't a number, you know, it isn't, you know, 10 a year. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a number of them a week. And again, going back to Extinction Rebellion, what their point is and why they're making it, they're, they're going after the wrong people. It is the, the, protesting here, protesting the West, couldn't be, couldn't be less effective for the planet. And you can't say that we're going to set a good example or anything else. Not only the fact that the UK has been setting a good example and it's been doing, it's been going nowhere. Um, re even regardless of communism or socialism being the apparent answer to, to this apparent problem, they're going after the wrong people, aren't they? Absolutely. So have you heard of Dr. Shiva Ayajurai? 
and I'm hoping I pronounce his name correctly. I, I haven't, and, and not even me coming up with other permutations of her, the pronunciation of his name can okay, I, I so don't he's, think I know him. He's, he's running for senator uh, in 2020. He invented email when he was 14 years old in like the late 70s. Very, wow. very, very clever guy. I'll have to post a link uh, on the podcast, but he does a very, very good video about the Paris Agreement and why it's all rubbish. I take um, it he's running as a Republican. I assume so. <laughs> I, I, I assume so. Uh, but he's, he's very, very good. Um, I just want to take exception for a moment about the problem being carbon. Or carbon sure, dioxide. I mean, sure. They, they, they abbreviate I mean, carbon I'm, I'm very much carbon. agreeing. I, I'm letting the premise of all of this slide. So have you heard, have you heard about the, have you had the, the parable about the tramp who's trying to find, he's lost his keys, the tramp, have you, have you heard that? <laughs> no. So there's, 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 or a drunk, I think it's a drunk who's, who's lost his keys anyway. So there's a guy uh, who's just walking along and he comes across this drunkard under a street lamp, fumbling around. So he asks the chap, he says, look, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And he says, well, I've, I've lost my keys. Um, okay, is this, is this where you lost them? Well, this is where the light is. And I think carbon is where the light is. It's, it's something that, that it's quite easy for us to monitor so we can focus on carbon dioxide as being bad when actually it's not really causing any issues. If anything, it's cooling the planet. And greening but, it. And, and, yeah, I mean, it's plant food at the end of the day. Um, it's there, not the worst greenhouse gas. There are so many, there are far worse gases that we, you know, that we pollute into the atmosphere, and let alone that water vapor uh, causes uh, more, you know, will 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 hold more heat in on the earth than than any of the other greenhouse gases. Yeah, there's 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 so much to say. Um, so yeah, the, the the idea that that, that so I, I don't, I mean, I don't have I don't have an issue with the Paris Agreement uh, letting China, you know, have more. You know, coal-fired power stations. My issue is that it is what it's doing to us. Um, I don't we think we don't need an agreement to do any of it. Correct. Um, I don't think. I mean, so you know, we had our industrial revolution, and developing countries are going to. We we don't really want other developing countries to go through the process that we had. So you know, we obviously we would burn wood, and that's bad for the forests. It's bad for the animals. So it takes start. a lot of wood. So we have to chop down forests. Eventually, you move. You progress you move from to wood, charcoal, correct? And then, you know, eventually, you get to the and stage you where you go to coal. Yeah, where you, you get to coal, you, you know, you get power stations. We go to. We've gone to nuclear, for example. Um, so we should be helping the Chinese with their nuclear power, so that they can skip ahead and they can they can shortcut, um, so they don't have to go through and they don't have to do all the pollution that we did. Just one before you before you interrupt me. Just one thing about pollution as well. We had reasonable laws about pollution, um, uh, well, no, not about, you know, not, not just about pollution, but uh, the laws about affecting people and affecting people's private property, covered pollution. Mm. Mm. And when the Industrial Revolution was, was kind of going on, in the name of progress, the state repealed and abolished them. So before, if you were living near someone and they, and they were, you know, they, they were polluting your, yes, your, air, your air because of their, yeah. you know, their, their power station, you could have sued them and been successful um, no longer. So it's the state that's actually enhanced the pollution. So the idea that statism is a solution to this when it's actually been the cause and we would never have polluted as much um, in the I first see. place if it, wasn't, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for the state. And, and people, people don't know that. That's um, very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, the reason I was going to, well, not specifically interrupt, but the point I wanted to make after you was, again, that George Monbiot, in his interview, his discussion with Douglas Carswell, was actually coming up with a number of the points that you've made there, not on the statist um, stuff about um, pollution laws, uh, but on wanting to help developing countries short-circuit that industrial process to get to the cleaner energies. He was all for that. He's all for nuclear. There's, a, there's some interesting positions. So I think it is worth you listening to, and I recommend everyone listens to that podcast. Because he, as I say, he didn't come across as, as, as loony as I thought he would. 
Uh, and certainly, I mean, they start the conversation talking about rewilding. Oh, um, so he's very good which, at that. Yes, which I, you and I would totally agree with. I mean, we're not talking about rewilding London, you know, but absolutely returning more. And again, Douglas Carswell uh, brought up absolutely the right point here, although it's you know, shouted down by Monbiot on, on the basis of us uh, damaging soil. But we, we make uh, uh, an acre, a hectare of land more productive you know, every generation uh, in terms of being able to feed people. We now use less land to feed more people. So there's a double whammy there. Uh, and the more that happens, the more land can be, I, in quotes, returned to nature, can be rewilded. Um, another point I want to make, which again uh, comes in line with what we said earlier, and what we said throughout, I suppose, in that it's the, the, the wrong solution or the solutions they propose can actually be more damaging for the environment. Um, two, two things. One is uh, battery technology in electric cars. Um, I've, I've had people say to me, all right, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I want to get my next, I want this to be my last, you know, uh, fossil fuel car, I want to get an electric car, yeah, fine. Um, uh, and and the, I, what I like to do is just remind them of a couple of points. And the first one is, where do you think that electricity comes from? <laughs> and I completely agree with you that the surrounding environment of the car is improved by running it off electricity. So once it is built, <laughs> well, and that was that, well. So I'm coming to we'll we'll call this three things then, because the the, the localized pollution around the car. You know, cities will be cleaner if they all have electric cars. But where do you think this energy comes from? It comes from power stations. But the other point is, it is not just the production, it is the disposal of these rather nasty things. The substances inside batteries are really not that nice. And nobody talks about the decommissioning and disposal of batteries, which they don't last forever. Far from it. Anyone with a mobile phone knows that a battery does not last forever. And if you don't think that we'd be putting this amazing battery technology in the devices in our pockets first before, before putting them into cars, you know, it's not like we're saving the good battery technologies for the cars. Battery technology is not very good. It has been getting better, like, like most technology does. But it's not clean. It's not clean at all. The disposal of batteries is terrible. And also, forests are cleared to, to open the mines needed to obtain the, again, the rather nasty substances. I mean, I'm not specifically against mining and using the Earth's natural resources, but the rare earth metals that we get from mainly Africa and, and they, a, lot, a lot in China as well. Yeah, and in China, where they clear large swathes of natural habitat in order to dig down and obtain, and then, as you say, produce the amount of carbon that goes into producing a Tesla. And I'm not picking on Tesla any more than any other car, car company making electric cars. The total carbon footprint is huge, isn't it? And you're better off running your petrol or diesel car absolutely into the ground if you're going to look at the for want of a better term the total carbon cost of ownership well, yeah so my car my car is 15 years old um it's done 175,000 miles nice um it's it's far more environmentally friendly than anyone driving a tesla in fact so when i think about it i've had that car i've had i've had two cars this, this is the third car i've taken over 175 thousand miles I took another I had another one that was about 140 but somebody wrote somebody drove into it and wrote it off so I would have taken that a lot further as well yeah I see my argument is that's by far the best for the environment is to pick a pick a car that somebody doesn't want anymore that's unloved that's done a hundred thousand miles still probably in good nick and just drive it until it dies and then buy another one which is yeah. what I've been doing for the, the past few years yeah um, 
likewise, uh, it, doesn't it take something like 50 tonnes of carbon for, the, for just the concrete base alone of a wind turbine? You know, th these, these are not environmentally friendly. And that's ex yeah, excluding, you know, the... the the Bird delicate slicing, bat yes. chomping, eco crucifixes. Yeah, exactly. Ignoring the, again the very localized destruction to wildlife and the and the you know visual blight um, to and the, the noise. If you're if you're the noise, the fact that it mucks around with radar, <laughs> all of this, all the of the fact stuff. that if they go if it's if it's not windy enough, they don't work. If it's too windy, they don't work because they catch fire. They basically just at, at the end of their life, they may have just started to make money. Um, and then but, they have to be replaced. But then they have to be replaced. And again, who talks about the decommissioning? It's a it's a hotter top topic to talk about the decommissioning of nuclear material, um, but not on wind turbines, which again have a shelf life. They well, have a life to them. So this is another thing. So obviously, with nuclear power stations, we have nuclear waste, and that just basically just sits there for a, for a while um, at the moment. So we've got all this nuclear waste all over the place. Um, that's just <laughs> that's maybe slightly misleading. The well, way okay, so it's that. in it's in certain locations. <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's safe, it's stored correctly and safely. But it's, but it's just sitting there, um, and we can't do much about it at the moment. However, um, so Bill Gates has been. Did you watch the program? I watched the program. It's fantastic. So he's well. You see, I I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I was. I love. This I love is, Bill Gates anyway. Well, I love Bill Gates. Right. So. For our listener, this is Inside Bill's Brain, which is available on Netflix. And it's, is it three or four episodes? Yeah, it's not very many. Three, it's not. Um, I, I watched it. I've been wanting to watch it for a while. So I'm glad you have, because we get to add it to this podcast. I, I, I was a bit of a roller coaster over the three episodes. I was, there were parts where I was just a bit bored and felt like I was just being preached at a bit too much. Anything, and it kept, it, in fact, I'll tell you what it was. Let's be clear when they're talking about stuff happening now or in the last few years, I was less interested in that compared to how he got to where he was. And anything talking about Microsoft and, and, and how it was starting, how he got his riches, I found that more interesting. But episode three, so episode one was, I mean, to be fair, it, it is interesting talking about um, the, the first episode, which was... Sanitary, sanitation, was it? Sanitation. And the you know inventing toilets for developing countries um, or sanitation systems um, that could be far easier to install or self-contained and produce energy or at least dispose of um, the horrible substances that humans create um, to stop the disease spread. Second one was about beating polio and trying to do the same thing um, uh, that they've done with smallpox with polio across and eradicating it. The third one was on specifically nuclear energy, wasn't it? So yes, they came up with, and I, I, it, it was interesting because they they span it very much as it's all Trump's fault at the end that it kind of didn't go ahead. But you have to look at the reasons why they had to try and do the tests in China. Like, you know, what was that all about? So again, I recommend people watch this to get the history. But anyway, this these, was a nuclear so these power plant stations that actually use the existing spent waste. fuel. Genius. Absolute genius. This is a nuclear reactor, I suppose is the right word for it, a nuclear power station that used spent fuel from, from you know, first, second gen nuclear reactors and that was meltdown proof. You know, I, I'm, that's the phrase I'm coining here. Um, flood proof, you know, planes crashing into it proof, fire proof. If, if a disaster happened, it was disaster proof. If a disaster happened, it just stopped generating electricity. The byproduct of it, of it breaking was that rather than it being a reaction that couldn't be stopped. Well, if you, if, you, if you think about existing... Talk about an evolution. If you think about existing power stations, then the designs are probably 50 or 60 years old. They haven't really Absolutely. put any thought into it for decades. And and he, he has. He's, he's gathered a, a team together. Yes. And he's designed a, a, a power station for the, for the modern age. And it's fantastic if it would ever get built. Well, and it's regulations that are stopping it from getting built. Um, an interesting point I want to make there. It's a very... 
capitalist point uh, or free market point, I suppose. Um, Euron Brooks good on talking about Bill Gates, isn't he? Um, and um, and how he's only seen to be a good person. Not by us. We we think he's brilliant, but only seen to be a good person since he started giving his money away, as opposed to when he was you know an evil capitalist uh, making it in the first place. Watching the series, he tries to incentivize. He tries to. He he literally starts a competition, doesn't he, for the sanitation stuff. Uh, he tasks one of his mates to build something, and he does it because he's his mate, and he's got enough money to do it, and he probably gave him some money to do it, so that's fine. But he tries to instill a market that doesn't exist, even though clearly there is a demand for for this for this stuff. And I'm not claiming that the market is you know, is, is working there because I think that um, the problem in these countries. Is the state is the state in those countries stopping them from improving? But the third episode talking about the nuclear, what does he do? How does he do this? He starts a company. He started a company to do this. It was how you solve this problem. You start a company. If you've got a good idea, you start a company. And personally, I think that for his sanitation project, he should have started a company. He should have started a company and said, this is what we're going to do. And then all the, all the pressures are there for a company to succeed. He's got the seed money. So it makes it really, really easy to start. But he should be there starting companies saying, I think you should do this because it's a good idea. And this nuclear company, this energy company creating this nuclear um, power plant, Will, will be successful. I really, really hope it will be successful, if only governments let it. Well, so this is, another, this is another issue with regulation again, is it prevents improvement. You just end up with mediocrity the entire time. Um, so, you know, there are these standards... The levelling of the playing field. ...that supposedly prevent bad stuff happening. The same standards prevent good stuff happening as well. They prevent innovation. So we're left with these 15, 16-year-old power plants and, and, and power stations when we've got these new ones that we're not allowed to use even though they're safer better more efficient use old fuel that we really don't know what to do with that yeah the only other reasonable thing to do with them is just to wait several thousand years for them to become inert and again that's that's still actually relatively easy to do isn't it i mean it was interesting on the program seeing the rows upon rows of these tanks uh, these you know kind of barrels if you like um, uh, you, you tend to think, don't you, of um, uh, nuclear waste being stored in a very Simpsons-style oil barrow, a barrel spilling out the top and being, you know, luminous bright green, don't you? Um, that, that's the parody of it. Uh, but they're obviously it's not stored like that. Um, but yeah, we, we're, we're all for all energy alternatives. I, I, I think it'd be great if we didn't spew out thick smoke. Um, well, yeah. So, so if we can, if we can get alternatives to energy, if we can help developing countries to kind of to, to circumvent their own industrial revolution then then great we can we can help them to you know we can speed up the process what i don't like is that lots of these eco warriors appear to be advocating for pulling the drawbridge up after we've gone past our own industrial revolution we're fine we're now using this cleaner energy but you can't go through the same process Sorry, China. Sorry, Africa. Yeah, you're you're stuck there now in, in the in the Stone Age because yeah. you know coal is bad, fossil fuels are bad. Therefore, you can't move from wood into coal. Um, so you is, keep keep killing yourselves by burning wood in your own in your own homes. Absolutely. I want to round this off by talking about um, Greta. Um, Greta Thunberg. I th I think Thunberg. I think that is how you pronounce it. And the only reason I say that is because there's a lake in Switzerland, and I know she's not Swiss, but it's Lake Thun, and it is spelled T H U N. So my assumption is always that it's not Thunberg, that it is Thunberg. Well, according to James Dellingpole, it's Thunbury, isn't it? Is he? Is he? I'm not sure if he's taking making that up or, or I right. Don't know. Um, but uh, Thunberg is how I'm how I'm pronouncing it anyway. Um, she didn't win the Nobel Peace Prize. I thought she was an absolute shoo-in. I mean, didn't didn't you? I, I I did think it was reasonably likely. 
Um, I mean, I was going to do my standard rant afterwards. Or, well, of course she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's good news, isn't it? You know, I want to end on a positive. She didn't win the Nobel Prize. I mean, I feel, I feel, I feel very sorry for her because oh, she's exploited. She, she well, she so it's child abuse. I mean, she's obviously she's obviously passionate about it, and I don't think people are twisting her arm to do what she's doing. And she they is are feeding her lines though. And she is she they they are um, she's good at delivering them. I mean, she oh, does, absolutely. She's a, oh, no, no question. She's a she's, great speaker. She she definitely believes in what she does a good does a good saying. stare. Um, she's calling out people for their hypocrisy, saying that you're supposed to believe in climate change and yet you're doing nothing about it. So she's not really having a go at people like us who don't believe in it at all. She's having a go at the world leaders who are supposedly talking a good paying game, lip service, but not doing not doing anything about it. Um, but she's just been she's just been indoctrinated and she's you can tell that she's scared and it's so this is this is one of the things about because you hear this happening in schools a lot where kids are coming home scared because they're told that the, they're all going to die before they get to adults um, you know in 10 12 years time we don't do anything that's it that's that's tough you're not going to exist anymore I mean I remember getting told silly things back in the early 80s about because it was it was about CFCs and and all that kind of stuff and glo- glo- pro- global warming was was huge at the time. Global warming was big. I did a project on the on saving the rainforests quite specifically well, and of um, stopping CFCs. Yeah, recycling and, cans. Or yeah, P- Peterborough was going to be a seaside town in twenty five years. Right. Do you remember that? That's right. We will never drive cars. All that kind of rubbish. Yeah. Um, but you didn't go home thinking you know I'm scared. Whereas kids now. Are coming home and they're frightened, and more more people are homeschooling their children because they don't want them to be no interest indoctrinated. And you know, okay, so this is a question: for you. What do you do as a parent if 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 your kids come home and they're and they're being told this utter rubbish? Do you do, do, do you challenge the teachers? Do you say, look, just don't listen to that. Don't worry, it's all rubbish. In which case, what happens when he goes back to his teacher and says, yeah, it's all right. I've spoken to my dad, and he's, <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> I would have no problem with my children doing that. Um, let's be very clear. Um, I, I, I am on... My radar is up for not just that, um, but also um, uh, any, any, anything that I don't think they should be indoctrinated on in their school. Um, uh, I actually went on a school trip. My first school trip where I went... Uh, I went along uh, with my son uh, last week uh, to Flagfen. Do you remember? Oh, I love Flagfen. I never went. This You've is the, never been. This is the first time I've ever been. I missed. I was ill that day. I mean, classic, classic thing. I didn't get to go on a school trip. Mum and Dad never took us, uh, so I've never, I've never been. Well, I, I see. I'm thinking about it. I don't know why I haven't been since every year. You know, it's it's it's, it's a great place. Really, it's great it's always place. improving. It's very interesting. Um, it's an archaeological dig. So you have to in East say, Anglia for, for those who know. Just outside of Peterborough, right on the edge of the Fens, uh, the flattest, lowest place in the country, um, which is why Peterborough would be a seaside town, because it wouldn't take much of a sea level rise to flood the Fens again, you know, because they were flooded. Um, and um, what we were learning about, uh, and they had some, the, the people running it were great. Um, we had, you know, we're talk, talking about the Iron Age, Stone Age, the Bronze Age, um, uh, they, and again, even the difference between the Paleolithic and the Neolithic, leading right up to the Roman times and all of this. And it was very, very interesting. And obviously, they've got artifacts. They're finding old boats. They find the causeway. They're finding tools and you know flints and. Uh, Bronze Age uh, spearheads, all this kind of stuff. Um, what what was very interesting to me is that none of it, in any way, shape, or form, and these were teachers essentially. These were these were people charged with. Yeah, these weren't the teachers of the school. These are the people that were there, uh, charged with educating the children that that that, that came. None of them talk about specialization and exchange in any 
any way, shape or form. None of them talk about trade. There was no mention of trade at all. There was a lot of religious significance to the flag fan site. Um, and yeah, that's saying encourage people to go and to look and to learn about it. But there was no talk about how the, the, the getting from Stone Age to Bronze Age to Iron Age was about improvement. You know, they, might, they, 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 they talked about how, you know, this axe is better than that axe. That's as far as it went. And they didn't talk about how you go from being hunter-gatherers to being farmers and how you get from there to there. And it really struck me, listening to all of this, that there was this real gap in the curriculum. And I'm, you know, I'm not sat there at school. I don't know what they're being taught for the rest of this. But I don't remember being taught it either. You're talking about cavemen and you're taught about the Stone Age and the Iron Age and all of this. But you're not talked about this fascinating subject of how if I get good at doing one thing and you get good at doing something else, then together we're creating more value than if we just try to do everything ourselves. Well, I remember being taught, even about things like the Industrial Revolution, it was, it was almost described as just being some miracle. And that it just happened. Just happened spontaneously. Um, yeah, and 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 you know, obviously the, the the effects from from there on in. But we were never told why and 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 what happened up to that. Just just for a couple of things before before we go. So, have you have you ever seen any of those pictures of like uh, apes and you know fishing with sticks and spears and using tools and. So uh, it's about modern day. Yeah, yeah. So a, a lot, of, um, a lot of them have have picked that up from seeing humans do it. But there are there are arguments now, and there are some scientists who think that some apes they're about are to entering their own Stone Age. Interesting, because they're they're starting to to, to build tools, which is fascinating. Oh, that is fascinating. Uh, well, so I watched um, I watched an episode of Our Planet, uh, Netflix series with Attenborough. So they stole Attenborough from the BBC and basically made an identical series. Well, it's kind of like um, uh, planet Earth and blue planet kind of rolled together, and uh, there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of stuff you've seen already, but you know when you want to get a when you want when you want to get your environment fix and seeing uh, animals in their natural and all that kind of stuff, it, it's great. Um, and they had on there a um, it was a I think it was orangutans um, uh, using using sticks to get um, to get ants out of out of a nest or whatever, uh, you know, using tools. Uh, and I, I, thought ex I thought exactly that when I watched it last night. Uh, and it was, are, are they on the cusp of something? And I don't care whether they've learnt it from us. If they develop it from there, and if they develop trade, which all studies so far, when they've been encouraged to trade, haven't been able to. And haven't been able to reap any of the benefits from it. They, 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 there is no trust with a stranger. Uh, there's no um, there's no getting of any of the benefits of it when they're when they're kind of forced to. If they if that happens, then that's an evolutionary leap and one that our ancestors made, which allowed us to get to the position we are now, sat in front of a technological device recording our speech and allowing us to disseminate that information across the world. And I'd just like to end on a high point. So we talked about Greta Thunberg. Have you heard about Boyan Slat? And again, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if I've pronounced his name correctly. He's the guy, so he's, I think he's about 20 or 21 now. But as far as inspirational 16 year olds go, he invented that ocean cleanup system when he was 16 years old. And he's now actually going out. Same into age oceans. as Greta is now. Yeah, yeah, and he's now going out and they're cleaning the oceans of plastic. So he's, he's seen a problem with the environment and he thought, you know, I'm going to go and fix that. And he's fixed it, and now he's making a bit of money off it as well. It's, it's inspirational. Yeah. And, and, and that, the, the actual, practical, scalable, reasonable, um, and, and ecologically friendly things, let's be very clear, that's what we advocate. Not throwing away the only, the only system that has brought people out of poverty and allowed us to technologically advance and feed ourselves 
throwing that away isn't the answer. And if, if there is, let's say there is an issue with the environment at some stage, maybe we're wrong. Do you want to be poor and tackling this problem under communism, or do you all want to be rich under, under you know, under capitalism, developing nuclear so, so, power and everything else? So you know, so we can afford to, to, you know, to treat the problem and to find a solution. I think I know the answer to that. And on that note, let's leave it there. Thank you for listening to this special climate change edition of Sounding Board. Uh, as we said earlier, we really need you to subscribe, share, rate, review. Tweet us, Facebook us, LinkedIn us, you name it us. Um, the more people we have listening to us, then uh, all the better we'll feel about it. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.